Good morning. <clears throat> I try that again. Good morning. Good morning. It was not you. It was it was me. I admit it. It is good to be here this morning. I I, I said at the first service I I like this place because it's the first place that I've ever been applauded before I preached, <laughs> or after I preached, which they didn't do after I preached the first service. It is a delight to be here, a, a real privilege to occupy this place of worship. I thank you for the invitation, for the kind words of introduction, and I'd like to invite you to join me in prayer before we open God's Word. Oh God, we're grateful for your Word, past grateful, eternally grateful, because it is the revelation of the way of life. We're grateful that your Spirit inspired it, and we pray now, Holy Spirit, illumine us so that we may understand and believe and live what the Word teaches us. In the name of the Word made flesh, amen. This morning I'd like to talk about two passages of Scripture. One of them is Psalm 26, and the other is Philippians 3. Psalm 26 sort of presents the problem, and Philippians 3 kind of gives the answer. So I invite you to read along with me. Um, I'm going to be reading from my old New International Version, which I think is different than what you have before you in the pews. You'll notice a difference here or there, and one of those differences will be, in fact, kind of the focal point of the sermon. So listen carefully as we read Psalm 26 and then Philippians 3. And I must say, if you keep your Bibles handy after I read, you'll be able to follow along better and be sure that what I'm saying is not just what I'm saying, but what God is saying. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have lived a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, O Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful people, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, O Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory dwells. Do not take away my soul along with sinners, with my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. But I lead a blameless life. Redeem me and be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground. In the great assembly I will praise the Lord. And then if you'll turn with me over to Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to begin with the middle of verse 4 and read through the first word of verse 7, and then later in the sermon I'll come back to the words that follow that one word. If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But, 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I don't know if you have ever been accused of doing something you didn't do. If you have, you know that being falsely accused is no picnic. That's why I'd hate to be a politician. We're just already now entering into the 2020 electoral cycle, and trust me, we are going to hear the air filled with false accusations in the next year. Some of them true, I suppose, and it'll be our job as as the citizens to sort out false from true accusations. I talk about false accusations in the political sphere because that's what David was dealing with when he wrote Psalm 26. King David was being accused by unspecified accusers of, well, sins that aren't really mentioned in the psalm. And David as he closes the psalm, says, okay, I'm going to stand here on level ground and I'm going to argue my case. Not in the court of human opinion, but in the sanctuary, in the great assembly of worshipers. I'm going to argue my case with God. Vindicate me, O God, he begins. Test me, try me, examine me, judge me, and God clear my good name. But in the process of asking God to clear his good name, he says an audacious thing. I have lived a blameless life, he says right off the bat. And he closes by saying, I am leading a blameless life. Now, what kind of person says something like that? Surely someone with very little insight into himself, just a tad braggadocious, is that a word? You know what I mean. At least he's that, and at worst he is a a, a narcissistic egomaniac or a self-righteous Pharisee. I mean, would any of you Dare to stand up here and say, I have led a blameless life. I'm doing it now. I doubt it because you and I know the Bible. We know what it says about human beings. We know that Paul summarizes it in Romans 3 when he says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None is righteous, no, not one. I have lived a blameless life. I don't think so. But now, wait a minute. I did a little bit of searching in this scripture and discovered that this word, blameless, is applied to some other people. The beginning of the flood story, Genesis 6, verse 9, Noah is called a blameless man. And that's why he got to ride in the ark when everybody else died. At the beginning of the book of Job, the very first verse, Job is called a blameless man, which is why his suffering was so inexplicable. The Apostle Paul, the great teacher of total depravity, said in our reading in Philippians 3 that he was faultless, probably better than blameless. 
and perhaps most significantly in Genesis 17, where God renewed the covenant of grace with Abraham, who is the father of all believers, he says to Abraham, look, here's what you have to do. Here's your side of the covenant. I will be your God, and you must walk before me and be blameless. So it's, it's not just David who stands here audaciously claiming to be blameless. It's other biblical characters, and God says it must be you and me too. So maybe we ought to think harder about what this means. How good do you have to be to be blameless? Well, it clearly doesn't mean sinless because this is written by David. Just the psalm before, he says, Oh God, forgive the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. Tells me he was maybe a typical teenager. But then we remember that later in life when he was king, well, you remember the story. Bathsheba and Uriah, guilty of adultery and murder and lying and heaven knows what else. A blameless life cannot mean a sinless life. What does it mean? Well, the word in the Hebrew language there translated blameless in my Bible is a word that means to be whole or complete, not, not divided. I think the word in the Bibles you read with me is integrity which means having your stuff together, having your, your walk and your talk, your thoughts and your deeds, everything together in one piece. What does that mean? Well, David's very clear. He says it means I trust the Lord without wavering and I always keep his love and faithfulness in front of me. Verse 1, he says, I I have trusted the Lord without wavering. Verse 3, he says, your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. No, I'm not a sinless man. I've done terrible things. But I always trust the Lord, and, and his love and his faithfulness is always at the center of my mind and my vision. A blameless life. Well, that's easy to say, isn't it? But where's the proof? David has said, I'm going to stand before God and ask him to judge me, and God says to him, that's your claim. Where's the proof? Where's the evidence? Well, says David, I do not sit with deceitful people. I do not consort with hypocrites. That was verse 4. My faith is shown by the company I keep. And then in verses 6 and 8, he says, I love the house of God. I go about the altar singing his praises and telling of his marvelous deeds. Not only does David hate evil, he loves the church. Not only does he shun evil people, he seeks the Lord. His his faithful life and his fervent worship match, mesh. His life and his worship are of a piece. 
That's what he means when he says, I lead a blameless life. I have and I do. That's what the Bible says about Noah and Job and what God says we need to do. So, I invite you this morning to walk into God's courtroom, stand on level ground in the great assembly, and plead your case with God. Can you say to God this morning, I've led a blameless life? I'm doing it right now? Well, God says, show me the evidence. Same evidence that David showed. Do you always have a life that's different from those wicked people who live in dark places? Or do you, with Garth Brooks, have friends in low places? Do you shun evil? Or do you find its depiction on television shows like Game of Thrones irresistible at times? Do you love the church? Or do you sometimes find it a bit boring, like maybe right now? And do you always go around singing God's praise and telling of His mighty deeds? Or are there times in your life where you really can't sing because you're so sad and you're not telling about what God has done for you because He hasn't done much lately? But that's how it feels. Most of all, do you trust Him without wavering? Or are there times where your faith is wobbly, your doubt is stronger than your faith because it seems that God's love is a mile away and He hasn't kept the promises He said He'd keep? Can you say, I have lived a blameless life and here's the proof? Well, if you're like me, you, you hear these words, you focus on them for a bit, and you say, who can? How, can? how can anybody lead a blameless life if that's what it means? Well, that's what Paul tells us in Philippians 3. Paul was a good man. Well, he was better than a good man. He was, well, a lot better than David. We hear that in his personal testimony here in Philippians 3. He says, if anybody else thinks they have reason for confidence in the flesh, he doesn't mean his skin, he means the things people do to try to get right with God, to try to please God. If anybody else thinks they've done enough to be friends with God, I want to tell you, I've done more. And then he, licks, he, he ticks them off. I was, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a... I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin. I, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to keeping all of the rules of my religion, I was faultless. Faultless. You heard him ticking off, you know, the things we tick off, the boxes on the questionnaire. Religious pedigree, involvement in the church, zeal for God's cause, obedience to God's law, and when it comes to living by all the little rules of my religion, I was faultless. I've done it all, says Paul. Everything anybody should ever have to do to have peace with God, I did it. 
But, but, whenever I read that word in the scripture, I, I see flashing red lights of warning. Something new is coming, something unexpected, something about God's grace. In fact, someone told me long ago that you can summarize the gospel in two words, but God well, here, Paul says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All the things I used to treasure and trust, I now consider trash, rubbish, garbage. Skubala is the Greek word, and it's not translatable in polite company. Paul says, all of those things that I thought were worth salvation, I now consider loss. Because I now know that knowing Christ is all that counts. I consider everything loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now, does that mean that Paul doesn't care anymore about living a blameless life? And he said, I know Jesus, I can do whatever I want. There are people in history who have said that, all kinds of them. I trust Jesus, it doesn't matter how I live. Well, listen to what he says in verses 12 through 13. Not that I've already obtained this knowledge that I want more than anything, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward what lies ahead, I press on. And the, the picture here is of an athlete, an athlete pumping hard, chest forward, head straining, heart pumping, press on toward the goal. I read that and thought about the women's soccer team. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Does that sound like somebody that doesn't care about a blameless life? He wanted that more than anything, and so should we. But Paul discovered that there's just one way to have a blameless life, and you know what it is. It is to trust the righteousness of Christ. Trust the righteousness of Christ. Here's how he says it in verses 8 and 9. I consider those human efforts to be righteous to be rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own based on law, but the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that is from God and is by faith. That's what it means to trust God without wavering, the way David says in Psalm 26. You focus on Christ and Christ alone. If you trust him, you're blameless. And the more you know him, the more you'll trust him, which is why Paul says, look, what I want more than anything is to know Christ, because knowing Christ means everything, everything. Well, that's a, a lot of theology. So let me put that in non-theological terms for a moment. 
A few of you have seen what I think is the greatest war movie of all time, Saving Private Ryan. I've seen it a dozen times. You remember how it ends? It's set in World War II, just after D-Day. Private Ryan is, is one of four brothers, three of whom are killed in combat, and the army has a rule that a mother cannot be made childless by war. And so the army sends Captain John Miller to find Private Ryan somewhere out there in the vast European theater of war. Captain John Miller is Tom Hanks. They start out at the blood-soaked beaches of Normandy. They wind their way through beautiful French countryside and bombed-out villages. Skirmishes and battles along the way, some killed, some wounded, but Captain John Miller perseveres, and at last he finds Private Ryan. He's holed up in a little burned-out French village, he and a few other soldiers, ordered to guard the bridge that crosses the river, the only remaining bridge on that entire river, key to holding the Germans back. Private Ryan is a loyal soldier, loyal to the cause and loyal to his friends, so he won't leave with Captain Miller. He refuses to be saved. What's Captain Miller to do? Well, he decides that he will stay with Ryan and they will battle the Germans and hold the bridge. And they do a, a heroic, heroic job. They fight inventively, bravely, courageously to the death. But the Germans keep coming. And in the last scene of the battle, the bridge is littered with armor and there in the middle lies Captain Miller, mortally wounded. He's being cradled by Private Ryan, and Miller says with his dying breath, Earn this! Earn it! Those words haunted Private Ryan all his life. So as an old man, he takes his family to visit France and Normandy and the cemetery in which Captain John Miller is buried. With his family in the background, Private Ryan stands in front of the white cross that marks the grave of John Miller. And he says, I tried to live my life the best I could. I hope I did enough. I hope I earned what all of you did for me. Then his wife approaches from behind and he turns and says to her, Tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. And she says, You are. And the movie ends with Private Ryan's eyes brimming with tears as he salutes the man who gave his life to save him. One day, you and I are going to stand before the judge of heaven and earth. Will you be able to say, judge me, O God? Tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I've been a good person. Tell me I lived a blameless life. 
You know what the judge will say to you? He'll say, no, you didn't. You didn't. I did for you. The perfect Son of God who gave his life for our imperfect lives will, says the Apostles' Creed, come again to judge the living and the dead. And I tell you that if you trust in him now, you will be righteous, blameless forever. And I suspect that when you lift your eyes and meet the eyes of that judge and see that he's a man, the man with nail-pierced hands and feet, your eyes will brim with tears and you will salute the Son of God who gave his blameless life for your sinless one. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we cannot praise you enough for what you did for us. But we'll try every day into eternity, knowing that it won't be blameless, but it doesn't have to be, because you are and you gave your blameless life for us. Help us to believe that. Help us to live it out and give us a passion to know you better that we may trust you more. Strengthen our faith now as we celebrate the supper you left behind so that when we cannot see you face to face, we can see the symbols of your body and blood. In your name we pray, amen.